This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion one verse at a time. Welcome to the One Verse Podcast. I'm your teacher, Jeremy Myers, continuing our study of the book of Jonah. This is episode number 72, and we're looking at Jonah chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Previously, we saw that Jonah taught some terrible theology to the sailors who were on the boat with him about to drown. And in the verses that we're going to look at today, we see how the sailors respond to Jonah's terrible theology. And in the process, their behavior is clearly contrasted with that of Jonah's. I mean, he's the prophet here. He's the one who knows the truth, but their behavior is way much better than his. So uh, we're going to see that contrast today as we study these verses. And we'll also learn why some non-Christians today sometimes behave better than we Christians do. Uh, And hey, uh, you know, some of the things I talk about in today's podcast episode are also found in my new book. The book is titled Nothing But the Blood of Jesus, uh, and also my new course, which is the Gospel Dictionary. Uh, Both of these, the new book and the new course, are just about ready. They should be available, if all goes well, on April 11th uh, or so, just in time for Easter. And uh, the book can be found on Amazon. Just search, go to Amazon, search for Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. And the course can be found on my website at redeeminggod.com slash courses. You should see it there. And uh, you can take that course by joining my discipleship group. At join at redeeminggod.com slash join. So anyway, um, both the book and the course are really going to help you understand sin, sacrifice, and violence that we read about all over the place in Scripture. In fact, even the violence... We see all over the place in the world today. So, uh, anyway, both the book and the course are available on April 11th. Make sure you get one or the other, or even both. (laughs) All right, let's get into our study of Jonah chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. All right, so in verse 12, previous episode... We saw Jonah teach some very bad theology to the sailors. He basically told them that if they wanted to appease God, God was angry at him because Jonah was rebelling against God. Jonah basically said, if you want to, if you want to make God happy, if you want to appease him, then you need to commit human sacrifice. Throw me into the sea and God will be happy again. Then you can go on your merry way. So uh, that's what Jonah told them. And in verses 13 through 16, we see how the sailors respond to Jonah's terrible theology. The sailors understand that uh, Jonah's great sin has led them into great danger, but uh, they have no desire whatsoever to commit human sacrifice. And uh, so verse 13 says they rode hard to return to the shore. Now, some commentators and scholars have criticized this, this point of the story. Since, you know, basically, if you're in a huge storm and you're going to row hard to the shore, it's usually about one of the worst things you can do because then the wind and the waves are going to drive you up on the rocks or the cliffs of the shore and and you're going to break to pieces and you're all going to get crushed against the rocks there. A lot of times, apparently, I'm not an expert mariner, but apparently I hear the best thing to do is to try to ride out the storm. Um, 
But uh, anyway, I, you know, th that's not even the point here, I don't think. I'm not quite sure what they were thinking or why they were doing this, or maybe they knew a good sandy beach that they could be driven up on. Who knows? That's not the point. The text doesn't say. So I, I'm not quite sure what the sailors were thinking, but I do believe that the author of this story is making a little theological statement of his own here. Uh, when the text says that they rode hard to return to the shore, uh, the, the word return there is the Hebrew word shuv, and uh, it's, it's often translated as repent. Now, now, repentance is a key theme in the book of Jonah, and so it's interesting that the first time that this word is, is mentioned, it's, it's used in connection with the sailors trying to return to get the boat back to land. And um, this is interesting because it sort of illustrates the, the key concept of repentance. Uh, in Hebrew, thinking, well, and in English and, and in Greek as well, uh, repentance consists of basically two elements, turning away from one thing and turning towards something else, okay? So uh, that's what they're doing here. They're trying to turn away from the rough seas and, and turn towards the land. And, um, you know, the storm has been described as evil, in fact, uh, the sailors described it this way in verses 7 and 8. And so this sort of attempt to leave the sea sort of illustrates the concept of repentance, I think, pretty well. Uh, the sea holds death, you know, and returning to land hopefully would mean life. And uh, so the land illustrates what they are trying to head towards. They're making a, a, a turn away from one thing and, and a turn towards another and, and in, a hope, in hopes to escape death. And um, experience, receive, continue living, that sort of a thing. Okay, so uh, that, that's, that idea of repentance is going to be very important as we work our way through this, this story of Jonah. Uh, more curiously, though, and this sort of relates to another prominent theme in the story. Remember, we sort of saw last time, Jonah has just sort of implied that his God is a sea god. Remember, okay, so he said, throw me into the sea, give me up to the sea. And, and we, we talked about um, some of the themes like uh, Pharaoh's daughter pulling Moses out of the, the Nile River and all of these sorts of things that, that basically Jonah's terminology here, the sailors would have understood him as, when you throw me into the sea, you are giving me up to God. So God is a sea god, God of the sea. So, um, the, and it's a form of human sacrifice. Okay, so again, they're getting this bad theology, this bad idea about God, okay? But notice, again, back in verses 7 and 8, they described the sea and the storm and the wind, this whole, this thing that had come upon them, they described it as evil. And now, Jonah is saying, yeah, and throw me into, give me up to God, this evil storm, give me up to him, and he'll be appeased, he'll be happy. And so, again, <laughs> The, the sailors are getting this idea from Jonah that Jonah's God is this evil, violent, bloodthirsty deity who is, gets so angry against people for their sin that he just has to destroy and kill somebody, right? And, and so Jonah says, yeah, and, and give me up to them, give me up to him, and things will be fine. So again, they're getting this, this uh, by, by turning away from the evil sea, they're turning away from the evilness of Jonah's God. Again, I could just go on and on. Jonah's theology here that he gives them is so terrible. And, and so by, by returning to land, the sailors are basically turning their back on Jonah's God and trying to find safety and security in their own deities, many, many of which you would never do. 
do to them what Jonah's God is doing to him. Or maybe they would, but they're just like, well, our God isn't as powerful, so it's safer with them than with, with Jonah's God. Anyway, I think you can sort of see there's this symbolic connection here between God and the evil of the sea and what Jonah is telling the sailors about God. Okay, And then it's all connected with this concept of repentance and returning to the land and, um, you know, be... Basically, remember what I told you very early on in our study of Jonah. The book of Jonah is about the main question, well, one of the main questions, what is God like? Right? And you and I, as readers of this story, that question is supposed to be first and foremost in our mind right now. Is what Jonah is telling these sailors, is that truly what God is like? The way these sailors now think about God, is that what God is like? What is God like? And as the sailors are about to experience, they're going to discover that uh, Jonah was wrong. We're going to discover that Jonah was wrong. As the story goes on, Jonah's going to discover that he's wrong. In fact, I think Jonah knew he was wrong all along. But, but again, all of that becomes more clear as the story unfolds. Anyway, repentance, shub, is a primary theme in Jonah. And so, uh, also the nature and character of God, nature and character of evil, and the connection between God and evil. Is God good or evil? You know, does God save lives or destroy? Does God want human sacrifice or not? These are the questions that should be rumbling around in your mind right now at this point in the story of Jonah. Yes, there's this huge storm, wind, and waves upon the sea tossing this boat around and around, up and down, okay, threatening to capsize it. But you should have a similar theological storm raging in your mind right now as well. Is this really what God is like? You know, sometimes we portray God, present God this way to the people of this world. God's angry against sin, right? He needs blood sacrifice, human sacrifice. It used to be the blood of bulls and goats, but, but you know, it's now the blood of Jesus Christ. This is sort of the theology that we present to other people. Is is God, you know, big question in our world today, is God violent or nonviolent? The story of Jonah is raising all these questions, and we'll get answers to them as we go along. Anyway, moving along in the text, verse 13, uh, the sailors are trying to get back to land. They can't. It says they could not return to land. Instead, the sea grew ever more tempestuous around them. It grew wilder, <laughs> more life-threatening, right? That they couldn't get to the safety of the shore. The, uh, the, the impossibility of returning to the shore is, uh, you know, parallel to Jonah being impossible. It's impossible for Jonah to escape God, <laughs> to go his own direction. So anyway, the sailors are finally left. No alternative but to throw Jonah into the sea just as he had asked. First, though, they do something sort of surprising. Verse 14, before they cast Jonah into the sea, uh, they cry out to Yahweh, to the Lord, to God, Jonah's God. Now, up until now, notice verse 5, they cry out to their own gods, right? That hasn't worked. They even pled with Jonah to cry out to his God, which he refused to do. So uh, now they take it upon themselves to cry out to Yahweh, the one who sent this storm, the one who's out to get Jonah. And and why do they do this? 
Well, it's because, according to verse 14, they are uncomfortable with doing what Jonah asks. <laughs> They're more righteous than he. They don't want to throw Jonah into the sea and kill him. They don't want to engage in human sacrifice. So, so they pray to God and, and say, they ask God that he would not destroy them for this man's life. <laughs> right? They know that what they are about to do is wrong. Even though Jonah told them, this is what will make God happy. This is what will appease and please God. Throw me into the sea. Give me up to God. Then the storm will will grow calm for you, right? They don't want to do it. They know it's wrong. Um, and, and so they, they, they want to make sure, though, that if they do what Jonah, this prophet of God, has asked them to do, that God will not charge them with innocent blood. Now, it's interesting here that they say, don't charge us with innocent blood. A lot of people... Well, some people take this to mean that they thought Jonah was innocent. <laughs> I think actually it's the opposite. Uh, was Jonah innocent? No, <laughs> not even close. And in fact, the sailors knew it. Jonah had told them a few verses ago that what he had done. And remember, we saw that Jonah's sin was actually one of the worst sins a person could commit. Uh, remember, it was an honor-shame culture, this Mediterranean culture from back at that time. And so rejecting a command of God is equivalent to slapping God in the face, to spitting in God's face. I, I even mentioned, it's like giving God the finger, okay? Or, or, and the words that go with it. Now, anybody who did that today, you would think, this guy has no respect of God, no fear of God. And we've talked about fear of God, of course. Uh, we might say, oh, you can't say that. You can't do that to God and remain one of his children, right? All of these sorts of questions. Now, none of that's true, of course. Another major idea we're getting here from the book of Jonah. Jonah gave God the finger, but he still remains a child of God, a prophet of God. But anyway, the point is, the sailors say, don't charge us with innocent blood. Now, was Jonah innocent? Of course not. (laughs) And the sailors knew it. Jonah had confessed his sin to them, and they knew that he was a terrible sinner, okay? So the the way to read their statement is they're saying, hey, God, (laughs) we're going to throw this man Jonah into the sea, and just as a reminder, he's not innocent. So don't charge us with innocent blood, all right? That's how to read their prayer here to God. They, they say, God, we are not sacrificing an innocent person here. He has confessed his crime, his sin against you, and we are only doing what he told us to do that would make you happy. And so just, God, <laughs> don't charge us with innocent blood when we do this. All right? That's how to read verse 14. So uh, anyway, after uh, verse 15, after praying to God, asking forgiveness... Isn't that interesting? They are asking for forgiveness when really they haven't done anything wrong and they know they're about to, but they're still asking forgiveness. Who has not yet asked for forgiveness yet? Yes, Jonah. Anyway, uh, the sailors, uh, they, they pick up Jonah and hurl him into the sea. I, 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 uh, in part of my research, I was reading some commentaries this past week and I, I, I came across a humorous sort of explanation from some Jewish commentary, uh, Jewish commentary about uh, how this might have occurred. Here's what it said. Uh, They took him and placed him into the sea up to his knees, (laughs) and the storm abated, right? So the, the, the Jewish commentary here is sort of saying the sailors were testing whether Jonah was right or not. So they dip him in up to his knees, and the storm abated. So they lift him out. This is the the commentary goes on. They lifted him back on board, and the sea became agitated against them. So they placed him back up to his neck, 
and the sea storm abated. Once again they lifted him back among them, and the sea again agitated against them. Finally they cast him in entirely, and immediately the sea storm abates. <laughs> That's humorous, a little fanciful. Uh, I, I don't. The text does not indicate that the sailors tested the words of Jonah in this way. Uh, instead, it appears, look, they try as hard as they can to row back to shore, finally realize they can't, so they pray to God saying, look, uh, please forgive us for what we're about to do, but just remember, he, this man's not innocent. He, he confesses crime. You know his crime. That's why this storm is here. And then they throw him into the sea, right? Uh, they realize they're all dead unless they, they cast Jonah into the sea. And there at the end of verse 15, as a result of their actions, the sea stopped raging, just as Jonah said it would. And, you know, from this, the, the sailors would have come to believe that what Jonah said was correct. You know, that, that, that God could be appeased through human sacrifice. Uh, but somehow along the way, I think that they learned something important about God that, that Jonah didn't actually tell them. And I'm not sure if this is their conscience or the Holy Spirit or, or just what they learned through creation as, as, as Paul talks about in Romans 1. Who knows what it is, but, but, but the sailors do see here how great and powerful Jonah's God is. And very likely, since they were sailors and interacting with Hebrew people in the, the, the ports along Israel, maybe they saw how the Hebrew people worshipped their God. And so it says that uh, they, they greatly feared Yahweh. Um, by the way, it's, it's interesting here that shows some progress in their fear. First, they feared for their lives. That was verse 5. And then they feared what Jonah told them, verse 10. And now they're fearing Yahweh, right? And, and we talked about fear of the Lord in episode 70 when we looked at verse 9. I don't need to say anything else about that now. Except to say that if Jonah had properly taught them about God, they, they would know they had nothing to fear from God. But uh, anyway, because Jonah's theology was so bad, they do end up fearing God here. But the text goes on to say that they made sacrifices to him and made vows. And again, they would have viewed Jonah as a human sacrifice offered up to the sea god, right, to calm the storm. So now that the sea is calm... I think that these sacrifices would have been sacrifices of thanksgiving and worship. To to thank Jonah's God for hearing their prayers and answering. Right? Uh, These vows, by the way, were probably some sort of oath or promise. You know, God, when we get back to shore, we are going to worship you. You know, they would have been able to go to the court of the Gentiles, maybe, in the temple, or or we're going to give an offering to you, financial gift to you, something when we reach shore. By the way, I don't think the sailors here had become monotheists. I don't think they decided to stop worshiping their own gods and now worship the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, right? Uh, No, I think probably, if anything, they just added Jonah's God to the mix of all the other gods that they worshiped. And uh, anyway, they're now just promising to make to add Jonah's God, you know, we're going to worship you along with all the others, okay? But um, the, the, the real interesting thing here <laughs> is the righteous character of these sailors in contrast to that of Jonah. Re- remember when we looked at verse 9, Jonah said that he fears God, but, but we challenged that statement because nothing in Jonah's activity or behavior showed that he actually did fear God in any way, shape, or form. Here, 
The text says that the sailors feared God, and look what they do. They pray to him, they ask for his forgiveness, they give sacrifices and offerings, they make vows. (laughs) Do you see the contrast here? The story is purposefully drawing this stark contrast between the prophet Jonah and the pagan sailors. He claims to fear God, but he clearly doesn't. He doesn't pray when the storm comes. (laughs) Instead, he sleeps, right? He doesn't offer sacrifices to God. Instead, he teaches some terrible theology to the sailors about God's desire for human sacrifice. Jonah doesn't make any vows to God. He doesn't, you know, he only spits in God's face. He doesn't offer any sacrifices or vows or anything like that. Honestly, at this point in the story of Jonah, you, you should be getting pretty frustrated at him. You know, what is going on with Jonah? Why is he behaving this way? Why does he not seem to care whether he lives or dies, whether whether he teaches true theology or false? You know, why are the sailors, with their very limited understanding of God, and most of what they believe is actually downright wrong, but even still, with their very limited understanding of God, why are they better followers of God than Jonah is? with all of his expertise and, you know, prophetic training and Bible knowledge, right? You say, well, Jeremy, you know, right away in in, in Jonah chapter 2, verse 1, just two verses from now, Jonah's going to start praying and and, and making these promises. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm not going to get ahead of ourselves, but but, uh, that prayer, you're in for a surprise. Jonah's prayer there in Jonah 2 is probably the worst prayer in all the Bible. All right? Yeah, we'll, we'll look at that and start looking at that in about two weeks. Next week, we're going to look at Jonah 1.17, see how, how God responds to Jonah. All right? And, and then after that, we'll start looking at Jonah's prayer in chapter 2. This is a terrible, terrible prayer. Not a model prayer at all. Uh, in fact, it's, it's a model prayer on how not to pray. Uh, Jonah's behavior does not get any better. Uh, anyway, so next week is Jonah 117, which I also, also is interesting, by the way, because, um, you know, it's Easter week, at least when I'm recording it next week and when you can listen to it. And as part of that, as part of Easter, I don't know what your practice or your tradition is or what you're planning on doing, but lots of Christians around the world will be talking about sin, you know, sacrifices, especially the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, and maybe even the statement from Jesus that like Jonah, he will spend three days in the grave. And that's, that's what we see there in 117. That's the verse that Jesus is referring to. This is Jonah, spent three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man, right, will spend three days in the grave. Anyway, we'll, we'll look at all that next week, just as part of Easter week, and just uh, probably even mention some in reference to Jesus. To, uh, so just to sort of close out today, let me ask you, if you've ever noticed that just as these sailors did a better job worshiping God than Jonah did, I wonder if you've ever noticed sometimes that non-Christians do a better job of following Jesus than we Christians sometimes do. I've noticed this. It sometimes seems, I'm including myself in this, it sometimes seems that that many non-Christians are more loving, forgiving, generous, joyful, than, than we Christians are a lot of times. And I often wonder why that is. 
I think a lot of it has to do with a complete misunderstanding of what God wants from us. Especially, okay, the religious aspect of Christianity, where where we see all these laws and commands in the Bible, and we think, well, that's what God wants from us. And so we try our hardest to obey all these laws and commands, and really, we sort of look down our noses at other people who don't say, well, they're not pleasing God because they're not obeying his laws and commands. Okay. I don't. I think that when we do this, we're reading the Bible all upside down and backwards. I, I, I don't think we understand what the Bible is for or why God reveals what he does in the Bible or even why the laws and commands are there in the first place. I think that once we understand Scripture as God intended it to be understood, and when we see the role and function of the law in the Bible, it's then that we learn to just relax. <laughs> Relax into the love of God. And, and when we do that, we can begin to live with all the freedom, grace, forgiveness, and joy that God wants for us to show the watching world. And that they're eager to see and eager to share with us as well. You might say, well, then, Jeremy, what is the role and function and purpose of the law? You know, why do we Christians get all, you know, wrapped up in all of that? Well... That really is part of the the focus of my new book and my new course. There's no way to cover it in in the last minute or two of this podcast episode. So um, I think that uh, the best thing for you to do would probably be get that book. Large section of the book, about one-fifth of it, I devote to a discussion about the law of God. And by the way, the book also looks at the purpose of sacrifices, uh, and why there's so much blood and violence in the Bible. So, anyway, if you if you have questions about these things, just make sure to get my book when it comes out next week. Uh, the title, once again, is Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. And there's a, a course that goes along with it. The, bi- the book looks at five key terms in the Bible. The course looks at 52. And the course is titled The Gospel Dictionary, as it's uh, defining 52 key words out of the Bible. And uh, you can learn more about the course and how to take it by going to redeeminggod.com slash join. I really cannot wait for you to get my book and read it. Let me know what you think. Uh, It's my longest book yet and the one I've worked the hardest on, so I'm really, really excited about it. My wife says that every Christian should read this book. (laughs) How's that for a glowing endorsement? She's not biased at all. Uh, But seriously, I'm excited about the book and hope you'll pick up a copy and read it, share it with your friends as well. And also take that online course if you want to interact with me with some of the details there. So anyway, see you back here next week when we look at the final verse in the chapter, Jonah 1, 17. 